Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. This is Soundtrack Your Life. I'm Ryan Pack, and this is a soundtrack podcast where I talk to someone about a soundtrack that they have a connection to. Today, Brandis Wilson is back, and we're going to talk about the 1996 Joe Pitka film Space Jam and its six-time platinum soundtrack. So, Brandis, why are we talking about Space Jam? We are talking about Space Jam because not so recently, but kind of recently, the new one came out. And so wanted to talk about the original because you are always berating me for not talking enough about the soundtrack and talking about the movie. And this is a case where I actually remember the soundtrack very vividly. And I remember being a kid and like when the soundtrack and movie came out very vividly, where I was, what it meant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I actually remembered very, very little about the movie prior to rewatching it for this episode. So music, soundtrack, totally stuck in my head. Uh, Movie, not so much. I remembered it had like the Looney Tunes and I remembered it had Michael Jordan and basketball and space and beyond that remembered absolutely nothing. I mean, that's that's a pretty good um, synopsis of the movie. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's not much else happening there, but... (laughs) I think most people would agree with you that the soundtrack is much more memorable than the film. Yes, absolutely. It's like one of those rare instances, right? Like there's a few movies like Top Gun and Space Jam and literally nothing else is like coming up in mind. But there are those few movies where it's like the songs and not because the songs were just like big at the time, but like actually because of the movie, like those songs totally stick. And then the movie is like, you know, it fizzles out where it's less memorable. I mean, not that Space Jam wasn't a huge hit as a movie. It totally was, but you know, I completely forgot what the movie was about and all of the scenes and even rewatching it. I'm like, oh yeah, this is like not really coming back to me, but that song, I know that song and I can sing along to that song and literally, okay. So when the movie came out, I think I was around sixth ish grade. I don't know. All those years kind of like jumbled together, but I definitely remember the soundtrack, the music being still really big when I was in sixth grade and I was in gym class and our gym teacher would always play the soundtrack to Space Jam when we were doing like basketball drills. And I used drills lightly because it was gym and it was the sixth grade. But I just think like looking back, it was probably really hilarious, like as an adult watching um, these sad, sad little sixth graders with no basketball talent, you know, trying to live up to this like opening scene of Michael Jordan with the basketball. <laughs> and then the music comes on and it's like, you're going to be this amazing basketball player, you know, and the and kid Michael Jordan's talking about, you know, I'm going to play for like North Carolina and then I'm going to like, you know, be in a championship team. I'm going to play for the NBA. And here's us like little sixth graders, like, you know, we're going to like win at hoops or like, do a, you know, like slam dunk or just like anything. And like, we totally suck and we throw the ball and it's like nowhere near like making hoop. And it's just like really, really sad. But listening to this music and having coming off of this movie, like you felt it, you were like, oh my God, it's really going to make a difference. And it didn't. So that is my childhood experience 
with this soundtrack is trying to make sad little sixth graders better at basketball and it did not work. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, there's a lot of up-tempo kind of, I guess, jock jam, like arena sort of music. Yeah, it's definitely like, you know, heart pumping, adrenaline, believe in yourself, you know, like most of that movie is like various times, the moral of the film, Michael Jordan says, you had it in you all, all along. But at a certain point, it's kind of like this false hope because, again, sad little sixth graders, no professional basketball players in that roundup, and it did not make any difference. All right, so let's uh, get to the elephant in the room with the soundtrack. We're not going to talk about the biggest song on the soundtrack because it's from a very problematic artist. Yes, however, I would say not the biggest song on the soundtrack. A very large song on the soundtrack and one that everyone knows and plays at a pivotal moment in the film for sure. However, I would say that for me, yes, that song is in like the top three in terms of like memorable, but honestly, I feel like Fly Like an Eagle is like stuck in my brain even more, honestly. Right, and that was by Seal. I mean, it's originally a Steve Miller band song. Mm-hmm. that Seal covered, and I assume that they got Seal to be on the soundtrack because Batman Forever had just come out the year before, and he had that huge monster kiss from a rose from that soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, it totally worked. Like, honestly, that is the song that today, still, like, when I thought back, I'm like, okay, Space Jam, I remember that soundtrack being really, like, big for me as a kid, you know, especially in gym class, F's mentioned <laughs> um but trying to think of like songs now i'm like what are the songs that i remember fly like an eagle is the number one that sticks out in my head and then number two would have been space jam and then number three would have been that other song that no longer exists right and fly like an eagle is actually the first single from the soundtrack it had a weird rollout from what i'm seeing here <laughs> so fly like an eagle was released on november 21st 1996 that other song was released five days later. And then Space Jam was released like a week after that. So it seemed like they were just rolling out singles week after week. Yeah. And I mean, whatever, it worked. Like, again, like this, the music definitely endured. It's interesting to me that they wouldn't have rolled out like Space Jam, like the title song first. That's actually kind of interesting. Yeah. And I actually read an article on that song um, while we were researching for this movie. So the Quad City DJs, they're they're the ones that recorded the theme for Space Jam. And I guess they were they were big enough at the time to demand that if we're going to be on the soundtrack, we want to do the theme song. Hmm. Good for them. <laughs> and I feel like they're one of those groups where you kind of forget that someone actually had to write some of the songs they do. Like they're so big, you know, like that train song they did or the Tootsie Roll song. Mm-hmm. Like, you just assume that, like, they've just existed forever, so you never go back to look at, like, oh, there's actually a recording artist who had to, like, arrange and record the song. Kind of like the cha-cha slide, too. Like, you just know that it's there. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, they had enough clout at the time where they were, like, we, if we're, you know, they were kind of skeptical of this Bugs Bunny, Michael Jordan movie (laughs) that they wanted them to be part of. You don't say. (laughs) So they're, like, well, if we're going to be part of it, like, we want to do the theme and so they got it and obviously it's a huge it became a huge hit it was it's a song that everyone remembers and you know it's a song that has outlasted the quad city djs 
Yep, definitely. It's interesting, though, that like it actually didn't get much playtime during the movie. I was surprised by that. And like in my head of like what I did remember watching the movie as a kid when it first came out, I really thought that that song actually played a much larger part. You know, when it's like the final like throw down, like that last game where like everything's on the line. Like I really thought it had a bigger moment there. And it's it's played there, but it's one of multiple songs playing during that like sort of climatic moment. And it's just interesting because it is the theme song. So like I would have expected it to have like popped up a few more times and have a bigger role, but it was just kind of like one in a string of like many. I found that very interesting. I also forgot how much original score there was too to the movie. And um, I guess that came out as like a separate album, like wasn't really included in the soundtrack necessarily. So it's actually two albums from the movie Space Jam, which is like crazy. <laughs> right. So James Newton Howard did the score for the movie and the movie that he had done right before Space Jam was The Fugitive, which he got an Oscar nomination for. It's always kind of entertaining to see, you know, what other works these people have done before they do movies like this or what movies they've done after. (laughs) So, like, Space Jam kind of sticks out because this guy's used to doing, you know, mostly dramatic movies. I think he did Pretty Woman as well. And he's known for doing, like, basically every M. Night Shyamalan movie. Yeah, that's like a really different turn. It's like you're coming off of an Oscar nomination for The Fugitive. You do like crazy, trippy horror stuff with M. Night Shyamalan. And it's like, what's the pitch to him, right? Like when these producers (laughs) and the agent comes to him and they're like, so we want you to do this movie called Space Jam. And already the title, you're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And it's starring Michael Jordan and wait for it, Bugs Bunny. (laughs) And you're like, "Uh uh-huh. (laughs) like I just want to be like the fly in the room during that pitch and see like how it's pitched to him and like what's his enthusiasm level like did they have to twist his arm or was he like this sounds like a blast this sounds like so much fun it's something fresh and different from what I'm always doing like maybe he just jumped on it I don't know yeah I assume it's either he wanted to try something different after doing a lot of these more dramatic movies like he wanted a palate cleanser or they just gave him a big sack of money and said, <laughs> we need you to do this. <laughs> Always the sack of money. Yeah. yeah, like his Wikipedia says that he is best known for Pretty Women, or Pretty Woman, sorry, Pretty Woman. <laughs> There's more than one. There's the Pretty Woman 2 that you never heard of. It was straight <laughs> to DVD, guys. <laughs> it's because it's Little Women, not Little Woman. <laughs> pretty Woman, not Pretty Women. <laughs> but Pretty Woman, The Fugitive, Space Jam, King Kong, The Dark Knight, which I guess he did with Hans Zimmer. And then, you know, obviously working with M. Night Shyamalan and Francis Lawrence, who is best known for the Hunger Games series. Well, I mean, that's quite the rap sheet. Yeah, and he was, I believe, a studio musician. He played on albums from, like, Eric Clapton, Elton John, uh, Chaka Khan. Like, he's, you know, a very accomplished musician. But Space Jam kind of sticks out a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Just a tiny bit. But I mean, like, it sticks out in so many ways. Because on one hand, it's like we're kind of poking fun at it because it's this ridiculous children's movie. And I mean, again, watching it now, I'm like, wow, this barely holds up. But on the other hand, it's like you have, like, this great soundtrack and you have this person, you know, scoring it who's obviously very accomplished and talented. You have 
some of the best basketball players like at the time and ever. I mean, if you're looking at the credits, it's like the list of names. It's just like himself, 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 plus like Bill Murray and just like all this talent. It's crazy because it's like a stupid, goofy movie, but there's so much talent in it, like in so many names. It's like, who were the producers who made this happen? It's incredible. Right. And this movie, which, you know, many people would say is just a commercial for Michael Jordan, was based off a commercial of Michael Jordan. <laughs> I mean, the whole opening title sequence, which is like, I don't know, five minutes long, is nothing but clips of Michael Jordan. So, yeah, arguably one prolonged commercial for him in his shoes. I think it's funny that it's like a very hip hop oriented soundtrack and i feel like michael jordan's more of a more of a jazz person so it's basically hey michael jordan this is what the kids are listening to so we're just going to shove a bunch of these people on the soundtrack and you're just gonna have to deal with it (laughs) i mean to be fair though again when you have that like there's a certain genre that just works for stadiums you know you have to get that like adrenaline pumping like it's the heat of the moment you're about to go on to the you know the um court i don't know that jazz is really like that great at jazzing you up for a game yeah that's true (laughs) i I just remember watching that documentary on michael jordan and the bulls the last dance Mm -hmm. and at one point he's like on the team bus and he's like oh i got this jazz album like before it's coming out and he's just like sitting in the back of the bus just like rocking out to this jazz record (laughs) and then it it became a meme where people turned you know like I think someone was like, here's him rocking out to the X-Men cartoon theme. (laughs) I mean, maybe that was his like pre-show hype, but um, I think when you're watching it, you kind of need something with a little bit more energy. Yeah, that's true. This is definitely a pump you up sort of soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Very much like a relic of the 90s. Not a lot of the artists here are still relevant today. You know, the Spin Doctors featuring the late Biz Marquis, I totally forgot that was a thing. Yeah, it was. it's really interesting because looking back, I guess, again, because, you know, I was like a kid at the time. It's like I sort of compressed those like late 80s, early 90s. Like that was all just like pre me really being like super conscious of stuff, you know, and then there's like the early 2000s, which is like its own animal is kind of like me first really like wrapping my head around the different like genres and like music happening and stuff. But for me, again, like the nineties are their own like definite moment and very different than like eighties. But I guess just looking back, I kind of compressed it. So I was expecting something like run DMC or like people in sort of like that era. And then it was like a wake up call. I was like, Oh no, this is like mid to late nineties. It's like actually totally like way later. And then, you know, like listening to the music again and looking at the soundtrack, it's like, Oh yeah, no, I'm like totally divvying those up in my mind like as a kid I just sort of like compressed it but as an adult I'm like oh yeah no it's like totally different music a totally different sound it's just weird like how as a kid you like distort things and time is just like not a real thing (laughs) yeah you know for me this conjures up a lot of uh high school because this is when the soundtrack came out and Coolio was a big deal Mm-hmm. He, he was kind of like the go-to rapper for like soundtracks. You know, he did um, Gangsta's Paradise for Dangerous Mind is, and that song was everywhere. And it seems like, you know, this loaded up on like people who were like known quantities for doing soundtracks. So you have Seal and you have 
Coolio, and I and Jay Z even shows up on here. I forgot Jay Z was on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's pretty loaded, but then you have a lot of people who got like stuck in the '90s, like All for One and Salt and Peppa. Yeah, definitely. It's sort of like this little time capsule of, again, I think like that '80s. A lot of '80s um, artists endured maybe like a little bit better and like for some reason the 90s just got a little bit like skipped over yeah i think salt and peppa might be doing some sort of like lifetime like behind the scenes series and i think they're all feuding over that now and there's not going to be like oh salt and peppa's going to be a uh, headlining coachella in a couple of years they might <laughs> <laughs> seeing how how things are going with the pandemic, it's possible they'll be only peop- they will be the only people willing to headline Coachella in a couple of years. Yeah, let's start small. Will there be a Coachella in a couple of years? <laughs> yeah, we'll first start there. First. Music festival, still a thing? Hopefully. <laughs> yes, I am definitely looking forward to it, but I am not ready for that yet. Yeah, your favorite band just canceled all their 2021 dates because it seems like we can't get our act together. Yep. Mm-hmm. A lot of bands are doing that, and that seems like the responsible thing to do. Uh, I was on a different podcast earlier this year, and we talked about the best rap songs from soundtracks and Get 'em High, or Hit 'em High, sorry, Hit 'em High, the Monsters anthem was on the list. And I thought that was a bit of an odd choice. I like a lot of the artists on the song, and I didn't remember it existed until I had to talk about it on the podcast. Yeah, that one never really, like, stuck with me afterward. You know, like I said, like, those were, like, I already mentioned, like, sort of the top three songs that I remember from this soundtrack. But then as I was, like, watching the movie again and, like, listening, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember this one. I remember this one. Um, That wasn't really one of the ones that stuck with me for some reason. Yeah, and it's a pretty loaded song. You have Be Real from Cypress Hill. You have Busta Rhymes. You have Coolio on his second song on the soundtrack, LL Cool J and Method Man. So you have a lot of people who are still relevant now. Mm -hmm. But it just seemed like kind of a filler song. I mean, it served a purpose in the movie, but as far as like a standalone, you know, I'm going to skip to a song on my, my phone to listen to. It's usually not very high on my priority list. Mm -mm. No. And it's kind of like that when you have like, I mean, they weren't necessarily, like, the writers of the song to, like, make the song. They're more, like, performing it. But still, it's kind of interesting in that a lot of times when you have these sort of, like, super... I'm going to say super groups because it's not a group, but, like, picking a lot of different, like, talent and putting them on, like, one thing. Like, sometimes the stuff doesn't really pan out. Yeah, I don't think there's many what they would call in hip-hop a posse cut. There's not a lot of posse cuts that tend to be super memorable for movies. Yeah. I would assume it's probably like all these guys are not even in the same studio at the same time. It's just like, oh, we need you to do a verse. So there's kind of that, you know, they lack that chemistry and cohesion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can definitely see that happening. Too many cooks in the kitchen and too many like people behind the payroll making the decisions instead of the artists in the booth. Yeah, and they're probably told to, you know, reference certain things, and then it basically just becomes rapping for a commercial. <laughs> Which is what this is. It's just like one giant commercial commercial for Air Jordans, right? 
Yeah, pretty much. I heard the second one is just a huge commercial for just all these Warner Brothers animated properties. I saw a screenshot of like Rick and Morty showing up or something. Sorry if that's a spoiler to people, but huge spoiler. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is kind of all over the place. I remember reading a review on the second soundtrack from Pitchfork and they said like John Legend is on it and he has two songs and they basically made some snarky comment about how he hasn't turned down basically an endorsement since like the George Bush era. <laughs> Well, I mean, he is the spokesperson for Genesis. Oh, is he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess I shouldn't be that surprised. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, that statement totally tracks. He's taking home. I mean, I don't know if that contract is still open, but uh, for at least like a year or two, he was definitely like bringing home the money for Genesis. I guess the opposite of that would be D'Angelo, who's on the soundtrack. He kind of just disappeared for a while and then only shows up when he wants to show up. <laughs> you know, that can like work for you being like that very discerning artist or it cannot. Sometimes taking that commercial money and taking that sellout money actually helps your career and keeps you in the uh, in the spotlight. I guess you gotta, you gotta, you know, What's the term? You got to strike while the iron's still hot. I guess that's what John Legend's trying to do. Yep. When you're hot and in the headlines, make the most of it. Make that money grab. Commercials really do pay well, guys. I cannot say it enough that, you know, making a movie makes money. Touring, releasing an album, it makes money. But for the most money, for the smallest amount of work, it's those commercials. (laughs) Yeah, D'Angelo decided to just disappear for like 13 years. For all you know, there was like some sort of other awesome like career happening. It's like another Velvet Goldmine throwback. I'm just going to go become another artist and change my name and you don't even know about it. I mean, I'm sure he was still like playing music and stuff, but he wasn't making records. But he's on this soundtrack and he wouldn't be caught dead being on the second one, I'm sure. All right, so we talked about you being a discerning, snotty little kid. What were your thoughts on this movie slash soundtrack as said snotty little kid? So this movie is based off a, I believe it's a Nike commercial called Hair Jordan. I think that was the introduction of Bugs Bunny and Michael Jordan in like the same space. Mm -hmm. And I remember loving those commercials. Like that campaign was great. But I think when I heard they were turning it into a movie and not just like a... It's going to be on, you know, Cartoon Network sort of movie. (laughs) I think I found that pretty odd. Um, When I found out that our problematic hit maker that we're not talking about was going to be on the soundtrack, I was like, that guy's doing a song for a children's movie? (laughs) All the more irony now. Yeah, I mean, I will also say I've seen this guy in concert, so I feel bad that I've actually contributed to his career. I didn't think he was as terrible as he ended up being. But yeah, I was like, all his songs are about sex. Why is he doing a movie for kids? And that was actually kind of a prophetic sort of thought. Yeah, you should have thought harder about that and then, you know, told people about it. (laughs) Like, hey, this is weird. (laughs) 
Although, to be fair, I think like 98% of all songs ever in existence are kind of like about sex. Right. I mean, now I see it like everywhere. Like, oh, you know, we'll get Jay-Z or The Weeknd to do a song for whatever movie. Like, it's all about the money. Like, you're popular. Like, Trolls Mm -hmm. 3, we need you to do a song. (laughs) But at the time, I was just like, this is a movie about like Looney Tunes where I get into the guy that all he does is write about sex and explicitly about sex. Mm-hmm. Why is he doing the song for this soundtrack? Yeah. Maybe we're looking at it through the wrong lens. Maybe this was never actually intended to be like a kid's film. Despite again, watching it now as an adult, it being an incredibly juvenile uh, film. Yeah. I mean, this is not like the Simpsons where you can appreciate it as like a child who just likes cartoons or as an adult who likes you know, references to like Les Mis. Yeah, no, it's it's very slow paced, very like kid oriented. So it is interesting that the soundtrack maybe skewed a bit older than the audience uh, watching the movie. Well, you need that money spending demographic, right? <laughs> exactly. It's not the it's not the five year olds and the seven year olds buying the albums or buying the album, I guess. Yeah, because if it was for like five to seven year olds, you would just release a soundtrack of like sound effects. <laughs> There's 25 different farts. <laughs> oh my God. Do they even have a soundtrack for like Teletubbies? I don't know. I'm <laughs> trying to keep my daughter away from too much kids' music. <laughs> it's basically just clowns and sound effects. That would be more of a horror soundtrack. I mean, it's nice that now, like, a lot of, not a lot, but there's artists from, you know, the 90s that are making children's music now, so it's a little bit more bearable. Yeah. But anyways, they weren't making children's, like, this soundtrack was not meant to have children's music. Mm-mm. Like, this was definitely meant for the adult demographic, that that coveted 18 to 35 demo. <laughs> coveted for everything but i mean they did it right the soundtrack was very successful peaked number two on the u.s billboard 200 and apparently was right behind aerosmith's nine lives which is crazy ironic because i feel like that's a band that has had nine lives yeah we could do a whole thing (laughs) about aerosmith i'm sure there's like seven different comebacks there but in 1997, um, would have thought that still would have been past their prime, but they topped this soundtrack. But still, for a soundtrack to go that high up on the Billboard, um, extremely successful. And again, it went platinum six times. So whoever put this sucker together did a very, very good job. Yeah, because it sold, or yeah, it sold six million. It has six singles. Oh, I can only recognize four of them. But yeah, it sold 6 million copies. That's like a ton, a ton of records. Mm-hmm. And I can definitively say that one of those sales was my sixth grade gym teacher. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> this is before streaming, so they couldn't just be streaming it off of Spotify. Right. I remember too, like back in the day when you'd have like the wannabe like cheerleader people like doing their own mixes. You couldn't like, you know, you didn't have like your own professional mixing equipment. So it was like, start, stop the tape, start, stop the tape. 
Oh, yeah. Like, I can definitively remember, like, my friends putting together, like, different, you know, quote-unquote mixes from, like, this soundtrack and, like, these songs, but they were not mixes in a professional sense in any form or fashion. (laughs) (laughs) This was the 69th best-selling album of the decade between 1990 and 1999, according to Billboard charts. That's crazy. That's 10 years of music, and this was number 69? Yes. How ironic. Well, we'll refrain from making a 69 joke. (laughs) Yeah, we just did. We just refrained from making that joke. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, that's incredibly, that's insane for a soundtrack. Like, I would never expect a soundtrack to perform that well within like a whole decade. Yeah, like you said, you know, it's one of those soundtracks that kind of transcended the movie, like Top Gun. And I feel like that's, that's the direct comparison for you know, something that sold 6 million copies and had six singles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I was trying to think about it. I was like, okay, what's a list of soundtracks that I remember better than the movie? And honestly, like, and not just me, but just like in pop culture, like honestly, Top Gun was the only thing I could think of. I'm sure there are more, but that I think is probably the quintessential thing to swing for. Yeah, Absolutely. I think Warner Brothers tries to do this a lot in general because they are both the film studio and record label. Mm-hmm. So I think Batman Forever was kind of an example of this. Like they had U2 and they got that huge Seal song. Like I feel like they're always trying to like capitalize on these like summer blockbuster movies. They kind of took a backseat on it with like the Hans Zimmer Batman movies. But like with Suicide Squad and some of these um, superhero movies that they're cooking up now. I feel like they're going back to like, how many artists can we get on here? And what kind of weird combinations can we put together? Yeah. You just made me think of men in black um, because that kind of felt like the formula for that too, but that was actually Columbia and Sony. So. Yeah. Um, but I felt like they did that with like Will Smith in any movie in the nineties. Yeah. It was it's definitely like, well, you're also part. a rapper. So make us a song. Yeah, it's definitely the same time. It was 1997, so almost the exact same time period. But it's like very much the same formula um, of let's put together a whole bunch of like songs, make like a theme song for it, and let's try and make that as big as the film. Yeah, once again, Sony, movie studio, and record label. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's smart. Smart yeah. when it works. <laughs> I mean, it did well. It performed really well. It actually spent two weeks at number one, but it didn't sell as many. So it was hotter in like the flash in the pan situation, but it was not, did not endure as much as the Space Jam soundtrack. Right. Because I think that just had, or those movies just had like one big song. And the Space Jam soundtrack has at least quite a, Quite a handful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it has like a few people in there, but interestingly, it's like, it's interesting because it came out just like one year later, but a lot of the talent on it are like, were bigger later. So I think they're just more like up and coming artists rather than like people who are super hot and huge at that moment. I think with Space Jam, they're definitely trying to capitalize on people who had proven themselves. Kind of like Michael Jordan. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, like I said, Seal had a big soundtrack song. Kulu had a big soundtrack song. The Quad City DJs were everywhere. Like, they weren't looking for up-and-coming artists. Yeah, they're definitely, they wanted people who are already big to sort of carry that, for sure. Like, the Spin Doctors were already past their prime at this point, <laughs> as far as fame goes. Well, maybe that was also something to like kind of lean into, because again, like you're saying, like Michael Jordan, it's like, this wasn't, you know, at the upcoming swing of his career. This was like the comeback tour, so to speak. So maybe that was like also like carrying through with the music as well. Well, there have been multiple instances of commercials turning into films, and this is definitely the most successful of that. Most of the time, they definitely flop. Like you had that Geico caveman situation. Oh, that was a TV show, I think, but major flop. Right, right. I guess that like Talking Baby was probably like inspired by the E-Trade baby, and those have been pretty successful. But I know that there have been a couple attempts of like commercials that are like really successful characters and then as just not enough meat there to turn into a TV show or a movie, but... In this case, it worked. It was huge. It was big. It endures. Now there's even a remake or a reboot or whatever. I haven't seen it. So caveat. I don't know if it's a sequel or a reboot or what's going on, but well, it's it not... big enough of a cultural moment for there to be a second one. <laughs> yeah. I would assume it's some sort of reboot since it's LeBron James and not Michael Jordan. But so the guy who directed it, Joe Pitka... I don't know if it's Pitka or Pitka, but he um, only has two feature films to his name. So he did a 1989 film called Let It Ride with Richard Dreyfuss, and then he did Space Jam, and he is the one that directed the Hair Jordan uh, commercials the movie is based off of. So he didn't even get a chance to direct the second movie. Hmm. Interesting. Again, he's just living off that commercial money. Yeah, I guess he maybe decided that he prefers to do commercial work and maybe the stress and all the notes from producers on a film is too much for him. Uh, he's, yeah. We'll have just as many notes on a commercial. <laughs> all right. Sorry, that was my mistake. <laughs> I think the difference is a commercial shoot is like, you know, you put together a treatment for like a week, you plan for like another couple of weeks and then you shoot for two days. Versus a movie you're out there shooting for like eight months. Right. And it says that he has directed over 80 Super Bowl commercials. That's a lot of money. Honestly, like him directing a Super Bowl commercial probably pays the same amount as him directing a movie. And it's, you know, one month of work versus eight. So, or right. eight to a year, I would say. So uh, I, I would, I don't blame him. I would take those commercials and run. Yeah, maybe he just likes to direct things that he can come up with. Like, he likes to be the creative behind all the work that he does, maybe. Mm-hmm. And since yeah. he kind of came up with the idea for Space Jam, he ran with it and did a movie, but maybe the second one wasn't his idea, so he didn't want to do it. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, everything's like a remake now, right? So I'm sure it's just studio execs going through their vaults, dusting stuff off, saying what can... We remake, what can we make a sequel to? Yeah, I was kind of surprised. Oh, huh? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was surprised when I heard about the sequel, though 
I mean, I can't be that surprised, but. I think it's smart, though, because, I mean, there's a lot of cultural relevancy and there's a lot of root, but there's like a lot of room to make it more relevant for today, right? Like the whole animation real life mashup like has been successful multiple times. And it does kind of, that nostalgia is going to bring in your older audience, right? Like it's from the 90s. So the 90s kids, the 80s kids, you're going to like flock back to it. But then it also like speaks to like kids who don't remember Space Jam, like today's kids. Um, But, you know, also a movie that has a soundtrack chock full of like popular music today, like that, you know, is very big and can lead to a lot of success. Also like basketball you're going to draw in like a huge basketball crowd, people who are fans of, you know, like the players, like there's just so much to pull in people to make this watchable. And I think there is, you know, whereas a lot of other movies that people argue, like, why are you remaking this? Like, it doesn't need to be remade. How are you going to put your own stamp on it? Here's an example of because that movie and that soundtrack is such like a time capsule of when it was made. There's a lot of room to make it new and to make it fresh and to make it more relevant for today, right? Like different player, different cartoons, as you're saying, like Rick and Morty instead of Bugs Bunny. Um, like there's just so many ways to actually make it fresh. So in this case, I think it makes sense. I think it makes sense that this is a type of film you would remake versus like maybe some others where it's just like, okay, cool, you're doing the same thing but slightly different. Right. And I believe Bugs Bunny is in the new Space Jam, but I believe they just brought every other Warner Brothers related cartoon into it as well. Okay. Well, yeah. Cartoons that people are like, kids are like more familiar with probably than even Bugs Bunny, I would argue. But yeah, I mean, he's the main character, so I can see where he'd come back, but I definitely think the like Rick and Morty probably more recognizable. Yeah. And I believe that they have like a bunch of like famous people doing voices for like cartoon characters they created instead of just the brilliant voice actors of the Warner Brothers team. Mm-hmm. But I believe that a couple of years ago at the slam dunk comp- competition for the NBA, I think some guy changed into a Space Jam jersey and dunked the ball. So there's definitely like, I think, a nostalgia with current players. And I think they're probably banking on it inspiring a new generation of basketball players as well Mm -hmm. um, with LeBron being the lead. But I always just kind of found it funny that it barely holds up as a movie and they decided (laughs) to remake it. And I heard that there are some very interesting choices with how they decided to remake it. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I heard that it just turns into a cartoon at one point, like LeBron turns into a cartoon and it just becomes an animated film. I mean, it's interesting too, right? Because post like first Space Jam, like the adult cartoons took off and became really big, right? Like Family Guy, American Dad, The Simpsons, um, South Park, like, you know, there were like a couple starting out, but then it just sort of exploded like late 90s and onward. And so I don't know. And like it might not be that weird to like people our age now like watching that happen because we're so used to like adult cartoons and then obviously for kids it's not gonna be weird because it's a cartoon i can see where that might work yeah and i guess it's not as impressive to have a cartoon character interacting with a live human being 
like I remember watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit and, you know, that kind of blew my mind. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, well, of course, you've just got green screens and CGI going. (laughs) Growing up takes all the magic out of it. Oh, what was the one with Brendan Fraser? There was another one. Is that Bedazzled or something? Yes, yes. It's just like really weird because in that like sort of like moment in time too, there were just all these movies where it was like mixing animation with live action. It was like the hot thing to do. But I do remember as a kid too, like you're saying, like it was kind of like, oh my God, that's so cool. It's like cartoons and real people. And now it's like, well, yeah, I mean, that's not hard to do. But instead I found myself, since I'm like industry adjacent, I found myself paying attention to when Michael Jordan wasn't, his sight lane was kind of a little bit off from where the animation ended up. And I was like, oh, that animation wasn't placed correctly. (laughs) That's funny. But that's, you know, the pitfalls of being an adult watching something that was really big in your childhood. Yeah. Uh, so going back to that Last Dance documentary that Mike, they did on Michael Jordan, I, there was a there was a portion where it shows him in L.A. for Space Jam, and he would like shoot during the day, and then he would play pickup basketball against real NBA players at night. And it was like his schedule; like he was always playing basketball, even when he was shooting this movie. And I guess the monsters were based off of some of these players that he was playing against. They like all. Flew them out to L.A. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like, if that's your one true love and that's been, like, the biggest thing in your life, just because you, like, retire doesn't mean you're going to stop doing it. Like, you're still going to be obsessed, right? It's just, you know, as an athlete, the number one thing is, like, knowing that right time to retire. And so many of them don't because they're so obsessed and they love it. They just play, like, a little bit longer than they should. But, I mean, I get it. That's, like, your one true love. You're just going to keep doing it. He found ways to keep doing it. Yeah. It's just kind of crazy to think that after like a big day of shooting, like I'm just going to go dunk on some of like the best athletes in the world. (laughs) Well, when you're Michael Jordan, that's what you do. Man, I think we've covered most of the songs on the soundtrack. There's a Monica song that I guess we didn't talk about. The Barry White and Chris Rock song. <laughs> and then the fact that Bugs Bunny raps at the end, right? Yes, but it has an asterisk by it. It does not appear in the film, which I was surprised about too. I actually kind of thought that they would have had like some rapping characters in there. But it didn't happen. Yeah, I figured that just by looking at the track listing that the monster's anthem would have been wrapped by the cartoon characters, but I think it just plays while they show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like their hype song. And you would think it's a cartoon, so you might as well just have them wrap it. No one's going to be like, well, that's method man's voice. That's not an alien. <laughs> uh, you mentioned the Barry White and Chris Rock song, basketball Jones, but I don't even like, remember picking it out of the film yeah i like you know it jumps out it jumps out at you on the track listing because you're like barry white and chris rock yeah you're like how does that work so you feel like i mean those are also two very discernible voices right so you think like watching the film you'd be like and that's it but i honestly like don't remember picking it out and it's written by cheech and chong (laughs) so where did it go 
I have no idea. It doesn't have an asterisk. It doesn't. Yeah, it's in cool... the film. Yeah, there's a Coolio song and the Bugs Bunny song. They have asterisks that they're not actually in the movie, which is, you know, our uh, my favorite term, the music from and inspired by the motion picture soundtrack. Right. Do you think there was like Coolio was just like watching the film and then like they were so inspired. They're like, I have to go into the studio right now. I've, I've got to set something down. <laughs> no, they gave him a big bag of money and said, we need you to write a song for this movie. The soundtrack is uh, two tracks, two shorts. So here's your bag of money. Be inspired. Yeah, just in case we don't have enough hits on the soundtrack, we need you to make another song. Yeah, I like my version better. I like the thought that he was just so inspired by watching this film that just this masterpiece came out of him. I mean, it's possible. I heard that with the Black Panther soundtrack, they asked Kendrick Lamar to do like two songs and then he came back and said, like, here's your whole soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, I can see like that. He watched the movie and was like, oh, I've got all these ideas. And he made like a whole album for them. Yeah, it's really great. But, you know, Black Panther and Space Jammer, two different animals. So, well, I mean, it's possible. I don't know Coolio personally. Maybe he really liked the movie and was like, <laughs> that monster's theme verse is not enough. I've got like three other verses I could have used. Let's just put it into a different song. <laughs> Where is Bill Murray's uh, theme song? Where's his anthem? I assume that's on the James Newton Howard soundtrack, the score. <laughs> I want the one that's like, you know, better like next time, kid, because you can't get in the NBA or the NBA. I want that song to be on here. I feel like he deserved that moment. That's true. This was a very strange time in Bill Murray's career. He was doing a lot of movies like Space Jam, and I think he had, did like Operation Dumbo Drop. And then I think he was the voice of Garfield. Was there ever a point in his career that wasn't strange? I guess like strange and like not the greatest career decisions mode. <laughs> Again, we don't know how much he got off the cameo of this film. He might uh, be making more off of this than Caddyshack. I mean, I guess that would make sense. He did take quite a break before... Well, it was just a couple of years before Rushmore. Yeah, no, just really interesting people that they pulled together with this. I was, I, I mean, because again, as a kid, I don't know who Bill Murray is. So I was totally floored when rewatching this and he showed up. And I'm like, I mean, but again, because of course he shows up in everything, but also just did not realize that he was in it. Right. And then like Wayne Knight as the agent. And while Wayne Knight isn't maybe as big of a deal now, like he was, you know, he was on Seinfeld. He was in Jurassic Park. Mm hmm. Yeah, he definitely has his moments when he shows up. So he was definitely, I think, someone that was a big deal then. Like, mm -hmm. I know he's always been a character actor, but like peop everyone knew who he was at the time. Yeah, it's definitely a fully stacked film. Yeah. And as we said, very successful soundtrack, but apparently Entertainment Weekly gave it a B-minus rating. I'm not surprised. Like, it's it has its hits, it has its moments, but... I wouldn't consider this like a critically acclaimed soundtrack. <laughs> no, but I also feel like it does what it's supposed to. So, I mean, what do you rank a soundtrack as? You know what I mean? Like it's not an independent album of like 
necessarily all original music that's supposed to be the greatest in terms of music, right? Like a soundtrack is made for a film, put together and like curated for a film. So I don't know, like, is it graded on like different criteria than like any other album? I think yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think if you listen to, you know, like you're, I know that you are a Nine Inch Nails fan. If you were to listen to like the Natural Born Killer soundtrack, or if you listen to like the Crow soundtrack, which Nine Inch Nails isn't on, but I feel like kind of is in that same sort of. Yeah, um, definitely. It's adjacent for sure. Adjacent, you know, like I feel like those are good, like rock albums, you know, they're good Mm -hmm. rock compilations. They're good albums that stand alone. I think this, because it's a collection of songs and it's not like, oh, there's like, you know, dialogue tracks in between. I think you are supposed to kind of take it as a piece of music. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like the aforementioned Black Panther soundtrack, like I know it's a much more serious film, but that's just like a good collection of music. Yeah. I guess that's my thing is this is nothing. There's nothing serious about this. Like, I don't even think the movie was taking itself that seriously. So I feel like it's its own little like genre. Yeah. Like, I don't think this is ex- is asking to be reviewed, really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. This isn't ex- this isn't really for the critics. Yeah, exactly. So just it's like just, the movie wasn't really for the critics. Exactly, it's meant to be fun. It's meant to like be a blockbuster and make some money, be entertaining. So I feel like those sorts of things just to be ranked on like their own, you know, something stupid and silly like all the scary movies. Like no one was saying that those were critically acclaimed, like amazing pieces of art, but they sure as hell were entertaining. Right. But someone at Warner Brothers probably did send out promo copies of the soundtrack to these publications, so it's kind of on them for doing that in the first place. Oh, yeah, definitely. You want to get the word out there, but, you know, would a B-minus stop you or from going to go see it? I don't know. Well, obviously not, since it sold six million copies. No, clearly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think it got a B-minus just because of Buggin' by Bugs Bunny. <laughs> You don't know that. Maybe the reviewer like had a traumatizing childhood experience from Elver Fudd. Yeah, they were like, it was an A until I heard Buggin' and then I had to drop it to a B-. minus. <laughs> I mean, I actually haven't heard it because um, I have only heard the songs that are in the movie. So for all we know, that was what dropped it from an A-. minus. It might be really, really bad. Have you listened to it? I can confidently say I have never heard Buggin'. <laughs> I haven't either. So for all we know, that is the well-deserved B minus right there. I kind of want to find this review now just to see if they mention Buggin. Let's see if I can pull a sound bite. I would assume they ignored Buggin and the B (laughs) minus is based off the, um, the human musicians that are on the soundtrack and not a novelty Bugs Bunny song. I could be wrong. And why not? Snoopy promotes life insurance. The Pink Panther sells wall insulation. Bart Simpson hawks candy bars. And three nights after he lost the election, the Republican candidate for president of the United States got top billing from David Letterman as a comedy act. Everyone is selling something. 
Well, that is quite a cynical way to look at things. Yeah, and it continues to be cynical, too. This is a review for the film, though, not the soundtrack. So this is similar to the Pitchfork John Legend joke. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) So let me tell you about a cartoon with Michael Jordan from the early 90s. Okay. So, you know, I was like any other kid where we watched Saturday morning cartoons and at one point, there was a cartoon called Pro Stars. Mm-hmm. And the show centered on Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, and Wayne Gretzky. So Michael Jordan represents basketball. Bo Jackson was baseball and football. And Wayne Gretzky, obviously, is famous for hockey. But they were fighting crime. <laughs> and they had, like, this James Bond sort of liaison, like, cue. It was, like, this lady called coach and she would give them like hockey sticks that had you know different built-in things so they could fight crime or a basketball that had like different controls in it so michael jordan could use it as like a weapon that is amazing that is like i mean also still right in lockstep with the time of which i'm sure i've talked about on this podcast 30 million times because it was really significant in my childhood, but the, was it the Mighty Ducks cartoon? Not affiliated with like, you know, the live action with like the little kids, but the actual like alien ducks fighting crime. Yes. That's what that reminds me of with like the tricked out uh, hockey sticks and like all that. Right. But they were actual ducks. (laughs) (laughs) They were alien ducks. This was, I mean, it wasn't their actual voices, but it was supposed to be like Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, and Bo Jackson actually like fighting crime. I love it. I want to watch it. Was it good? Not great. (laughs) Well, the Mighty Ducks was great. So take that. Uh, Athletes fighting crime versus athlete alien ducks fighting crime. Yeah, I mean, I... Don't re- I never really got into the Mighty Ducks because I I don't know because it's alien ducks playing because it's alien ducks. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like super excited about this cartoon because I was I was just a fan of all sports. So I was like, oh cool! Like there's gonna be this Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan cartoon, and I don't and it's not even their voices. Like once the cartoon starts, I think sometimes like. They would show up to like intro each episode. Well, I wonder if that was like kind of where it fell off is it just wasn't saturated enough in their lore, you know? It's like it took the premise of like them and fighting crime, but then it didn't really have like their personalities backing it. Right. Versus like this film, Space Jam, I mean like Michael Jordan's on screen like almost all the time. It very much like has, you know, like him coming through and Obviously, he's like the beloved icon, right? So if anything, you knew the film was going to be a success just because there are that many Michael Jordan fans. Yeah, and there's like enough meta, like self-referential, self-referential stuff in it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Where the cartoon like really played it straight. Like here's a hockey stick Wayne Gretzky that, you know, when you press this button, it turns into a helicopter. <laughs> Like, there's no wink at the camera. It's just like, this is how this universe works. Yeah, and you're uh, scoffing at 
hockey playing alien ducks fighting crime in space. I mean, I think I was also just like at an older age where it's like, okay, like, I guess I'm just done with cartoons. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I, I have a lot of opinions about the Mighty Ducks franchise in general just because I was the target audience when that first movie came out and it took place in Minnesota and I was like, I live in Minnesota. <laughs> but it's completely not even related. It's just, I know. So that's probably what turned me off. It's like, oh, I just wanted more adventures about kids from Minnesota. Got it. Got it. You were offended that it took the name Ducks and was about hockey, but was not the right Ducks. Correct. Oh, I remember too what I wanted to talk about. How the hell did they pull off the Mickey Mouse um, Anaheim Ducks reference? That's, that's completely the wrong distributor and studio. In the film, um, I think it's Daffy Duck saying what kind of Mickey Mouse organization calls themselves the Ducks. Or maybe, no, maybe it was Bugs Bunny making fun of Daffy Duck for that. Yeah, Daffy Duck wanted to call themselves the Ducks and Bugs Bunny was like, what kind of Mickey Mouse organization calls themselves the Ducks? I missed that. And I was like, how were they able to say that? How were they not slapped with like a huge fine for that one? I thought that was a really good dig. I guess it was talked about a lot at the time. It was a controversial joke. <laughs> but I don't I don't see any real blowback from it other than like it was a very racy joke. Yeah, like I don't know that brands and companies really took swipes at each other like they do today, but and not even like organization calls themselves the ducks i can totally see them getting away with that but saying mickey mouse especially in like a derogatory way like i would have thought disney would have been all over that apparently someone was sleeping on the lawsuit button that doesn't happen at disney and you know that <laughs> so thanks brandis for coming back and chatting about space jam always oh i forgot to tell our dedicated viewers um or listeners i should say where nicole was she gives her apologies. She cannot make it. She was too busy spying through Ian McGregor's bathroom window. Um, but she will be back next time. Yes, and we'll have to ask her about her thoughts on Space Jam. Yeah, you can choose to include that or not. <laughs> <laughs> so follow us on Instagram at SoundtrackCast, on Twitter at Soundtrack underscore your. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks, hopefully. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Adios. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, soundtrackyourlife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.